like to say good evening. Certainly it is a blessing again to be here with you to continue in our series on Faces at the Cross. And I want to start out this evening, I want to ask, um, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you know the song, I'll Be a Friend to Jesus? I want you to think about the first verse of that song. It says, they tried my Lord and Master with no one to defend. Within the halls of Pilate, he stood without a friend. And then the chorus goes on to say that I'll be a friend to Jesus. My life for him, I'll spend. I'll be a friend to Jesus until my years shall end. And tonight I venture to say that if I asked you that very question of whether you would be a friend of Jesus, you would definitely proclaim on a Monday evening at the La Prada Drive Church of Christ that you are a friend of Jesus. But I want you to understand that Jesus had friends that lived with him. Uh, Jesus had friends who walked with him while he was here on the earth, and uh, those friends got to see a lot of amazing things. They got to hear Jesus speak with a crowd of 5,000 people gathered around him. They got to hear him talk to them about the will of God. They got to see him do and perform miracles. And those closest to him, he would have considered his friends. But you need to understand something. As Jesus was on the cross, no one was there except one of his 12 closest friends. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 26. Because tonight we're going to talk about the only apostle that's listed that was actually there at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. And I want you to look at Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 30. Brother Scott referenced this uh, in his remarks, I think this morning or, or maybe even yesterday evening. And there in verse 30 of this chapter says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me three times. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all of the disciples. You ever think Peter gets a bad rap? Because really Peter was just the one that was willing to speak up first. And I want you to think about this interaction with Jesus and his 12 closest friends. Do you have a best friend? You have a group of best friends? Some of you may have your best friends with you this week, you young people. Do you think those best friends would desert you in a time of need? Or do you think that they would be right there with you? You, you say, well, I will be with you. They'll be with me. Notice what Jesus told his closest friends. He knew what he was about to go and do. He knew he was being arrested and going to be put on trial. He was ultimately going to be murdered and make a sacrifice for our sins. And he told them very plainly, every single one of you will scatter. 
And he quoted a prophecy that they would smite the shepherd and the sheep would scatter. And what did Peter say? Not me. You know what, Lord? Even if you die, I'll die right beside you. But Peter wasn't the only one that proclaimed that. All of them did that. And you'd say, well, of course they would say that. They were friends of Jesus. They were friends of the Son of God. But I want you to know something tonight. Peter denied he even knew Jesus just a few hours later. And I want you to look at a passage found in Mark chapter 14 as we set up our study for the evening. In Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 43, Mark's account says, And immediately while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him and gave him a token, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him, and one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said to them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Now, it's very easy for us to sing that song, I'll be a friend to Jesus. It's very easy for us to think about all that Christ has done for us and ultimately offering himself on that cross for the payment of our sins and say, I'll never forsake Jesus. But I want you to know those 12 that were closest to him all proclaimed the same thing. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus was taken into custody, you know what? They all ran. And they ran and they fled. You know why they did that? They didn't know what to believe. You know, if they really had believed Jesus' words, they would have known this was a day that had to come. Jesus said, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of men. They're going to put me on a cross. They're going to murder me. But three days later, I'm going to arise victorious over there. He told them plainly what was going to happen. But that was so far out of anything that they had ever seen that they really didn't know what to believe. So when Jesus is taken captive and he's arrested... His best friends did what? Ran away. That's what they did. They ran away. And they all ran and they hid in fear for their own selves. But then as we look at the accounts of the cross, we see that one of those apostles found himself following Jesus and being there at the foot of the cross. And this is the disciple whose name is John. Now, I want you to think about this disciple, John. In the book of John, in the gospel of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And sometimes we read that and we say, well, John was kind of full of himself. He, you know, said Jesus loved me and he was his favorite. But I want you to understand the reason John said that was to emphasize the love that Jesus had for him and not his dedication or his love for Jesus. It was really a way of demoting himself. And saying that he was simply the disciple that Jesus loved. And he would have expected Peter to identify himself the same way. And Mark and Luke and all of the rest of the apostles. 
So tonight we're going to look at the cross from the perspective of a friend of Jesus. One who knew him, had seen the miracles he had performed, who loved him and knew that Christ had a great love for him. In John chapter 19, beginning in verse 25, the Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. So as Jesus looked down from his cross, I want you to think for just a second. Those 12 apostles that had seen everything Jesus had done, wouldn't you expect them to be there supporting their master? As Peter said, I'll die with you, maybe you would even expect Peter ought to be on a cross right next to Jesus if he's really going to be the friend of Jesus that he said he was going to be. Isn't that the kind of friend you want is a friend that will be with you even to the very end of your life? And Jesus looks down from his cross and he doesn't see all 12. He sees some women, including his own mother, who we'll talk about later this week. And he sees one disciple whom he loved. How do you think Jesus felt? Think he felt alone? Think he felt betrayed? Think he felt like... Where are all my friends? In my hour of trial, in my hour of being delivered, in my hour of death, where are they? But I want to tell you, Jesus had concern for this disciple and for his mother as he hung on that cross. You know, who was John? John was that apostle that followed Jesus, but John is one that had left everything to follow Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 21, the Bible says, And going on from thence, he saw other two brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. You see, John was a fisherman, and John had a business that he ran alongside his brother James and their father Zebedee. So you think about the family business. And Zebedee the father had been training his sons and ultimately, I'm sure, had a vision of handing off this fishing empire to these two boys that would take it into the next generations and then train their boys one day to be fishermen. But Jesus came along and what happened? The Bible says that James and John immediately left their nets, left their livelihood, left everything and followed Jesus. often wonder about Zebedee. His two helpers, his workers, they've just deserted him. But you know why they left their nets? Is they had a higher calling. And that calling was to be a dear friend and disciple and ultimately an apostle of Jesus Christ. What does that teach us about our discipleship? We have to be willing to give it all, don't we? Is there something in your life that's hindering you from being the type of disciple that would truly follow Jesus all the way to the end of your life? You see, John was a dedicated disciple, and I could imagine the beginning of this journey as Jesus came along the seashore and he called John and Zebedee and or called James and John to follow him, and they leave their nets and follow him. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they put their faith and their trust in Jesus, and ultimately that faith and that trust led John to be the only apostle that's there at the foot of the cross. 
You see, John was passionate but not perfect. Oftentimes we study the apostles and we think that they never had problems, they never did anything wrong, but I want to expose John this evening. Now Peter were often very easy to expose and understand his shortcomings and his sins and those kind of things. But you know, John had a temper. John had a problem with anger. Did you know that? I want you to look at Luke chapter 9. And I want to look at this account. And a situation that Jesus finds his disciples in and, and the way John reacts uh, to the situation where Jesus is rejected there in Samaria. So Luke chapter 9, we're going to start there in verse 49. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbid him because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said to him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is with us. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now understand what happened here. John goes in before Jesus to prepare a way for him through Samaria. The people of Samaria, instead of reacting and saying, Hey, we're excited Jesus is going to come here, they kind of mocked, ridiculed, and didn't really want anything to do with Jesus. So John, in his reaction, is very upset. And he goes and relays this message to Jesus, but he relays it to him and says, Lord, you want me and James to call fire from heaven and destroy those people? You think John had that kind of power? Apparently John thought he did. And apparently John was upset enough that he wanted to see those people who had rejected Jesus destroyed. You ever know that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also referred to as another name by Jesus? What was that other name? The sons of thunder. You know why they got that nickname? Because of an attitude like this. (laughs) That rage. That anger. Have you ever gotten so mad at somebody that you wanted to kill? Can you imagine that? An apostle of Jesus wanted to to destroy a group of people because of their rejection of Jesus. Do you think John loved Jesus? And he wanted everybody to respect Jesus and to understand who Jesus was. And he was willing to say, Lord, you want us to destroy these people? Because we'll do it just like Elias did. We'll do it. We'll take care of them. And what did Jesus say? John, you don't even know the spirit that I'm giving you. You don't even know the kind of person I'm calling you to be if that's going to be your initial reaction to a situation like this. Because what did Jesus say? I didn't come to destroy men. Could Jesus have destroyed any of those who rejected him? Yes, he was the son of God. 
He could have rejected. If they rejected him, he could have had them destroyed instantaneously. But Jesus didn't come to destroy. He came to save. And I think that's important for us to remember. Because we're called to be disciples of Jesus. We're to be out in this world preaching the gospel of Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes I get frustrated with people who deny Christ. I get frustrated with a world that rejects the message of the gospel. I get frustrated with the news stories about immorality and that agenda being pushed on us as God's people. Should I ever wish that they would be killed and dead and destroyed? Not if I have the Spirit of Christ. If I have the Spirit of Christ, my prayer for them would be that they would repent and that they would be forgiven of their sins. And that's what Jesus was teaching John. So don't get this idea that John was just perfect and never did anything wrong. Ultimately, John had an anger problem. And sometimes his passion would be unbridled and it would get him into a little bit of trouble. You know, John got to witness key events within the ministry of Jesus. One of them is the transfiguration. Now, the transfiguration was an occurrence where Jesus went up into a mountain and he took Peter, James, and John up to this mountain and he was, the Bible says, transfigured before them. And all that means is that his body was changed into something that reflected immortality. And essentially what Peter, James, and John got to see was a preview of what Jesus would look like after his resurrection from the dead. And in Matthew 17, the first three verses, the Bible talks about this event. It says, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up to a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And notice what the Bible says. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment, or his clothing, was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And ultimately, Peter says, Lord, let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elias. It was a glorious event. You and I read about it on the pages of the Bible. John got to see it. How would you feel about Jesus if your eyes had witnessed this event? Do you think your faith would be strong? Do you think you might believe just a little bit more if you had seen it with your own eyes? John got to see this. And maybe that's what gave him the confidence as Jesus is on the cross to be the only apostle that was actually there witnessing the death of the Savior. You know where else John got to be? He got to be in that inner circle of apostles that went deeper into the garden to pray for Jesus. Now there are a number of occasions in the New Testament where you will see you have the 12 apostles with Jesus, his closest friends who he selected out of the world to be his disciples. Then within those 12, you see an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. Just like we saw at the transfiguration, we also see here at the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So even within the 12, you have this inner circle of three, and John is a part of that. Notice what the Bible says in Mark chapter 14. It says, And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciples, 
Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. You know what that means? That means Jesus had a lot of anxiety and stress. And you know why he was anxious? You know why he was feeling stress? Because he knew what he was about to go do. He was about to be put to death. And now he's praying in the garden. And what did he pray? Ultimately, he prayed for his disciples who he had converted out of the world. He actually even prays for us, the, the ones that would believe on him through their word, as John chapter 17 describes to us. And in that prayer, Jesus said, let this cup pass from me. What that means is Jesus was asking his father, if there's any other way to accomplish what you need to accomplish other than me having to die, let's find another way to do this. You know how many times Jesus prayed that prayer? Three times. And as he prayed that prayer, he would come back to his disciples. He'd come back to Peter, James, and John every time. And what were they doing? They had fallen asleep. Let me ask you tonight. You may be tired. But if Jesus asked you tonight, Hey, can you pray for me for just a little while? Could you do that without falling asleep? He can't. He's already out. But you know, if Jesus was asking me, pray for me, and I knew what he was praying for, you know, I would probably do everything in my power not to fall asleep. But again, these weren't perfect men. They were men. They were tired. And maybe they didn't fully grasp or understand, what, what is Jesus stressed about? He's the Son of God. What? I, I don't understand. Maybe all those confusing questions that we talked about yesterday morning were swirling in their minds. But John had earned the trust of Jesus. Wouldn't you like for Jesus to be able to trust you? Wouldn't you like for Jesus to count you as one of his inner circle? You see, there was no one closer in this life to Jesus than these three men. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, John is the only one that's there. Now, three times in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself. You know, John never mentions his own name in his writing. And I honestly believe that's because he wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. He was trying to focus his attention on the love of Christ and the love of God for his people. Because the Gospel of John is full of teachings about the love of God. And as John referred to himself in uh, chapter 13, verse 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Again in chapter 19, verse 26, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. And again in chapter 20, and there in verse 2, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, that tells me something about my relationship with Jesus. I shouldn't be so worried about Chase and how much Chase loves Jesus and Chase loves God. I ought to be willing simply to be identified as one that Jesus loves. I want to tell you tonight, every one of you in this building 
have the potential of being a friend of Jesus and knowing that He loves you. And yes, it's because the Bible tells me so. But I want to tell you, it's because Jesus proved it by dying for you. Jesus taught His disciples that there was no greater love than this that a man would what? Lay down his life for his friends. John thought it a very high calling to be called a friend that Jesus loved. You know, of all the things that John witnessed and all the things that John wrote down, I want you to think about John for a second. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, letters in the New Testament. He also wrote the Revelation. So John had witnessed and seen a lot of amazing things, but at the end of his Gospel, what does he proclaim? John 21 and verse 25, it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. John said if we really had record of everything that Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the volumes and volumes of books that could be written about the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty impressive life, isn't it? I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. He has a ministry of three years and dies at 33. I'm 42. I haven't accomplished anything. And in three years, Jesus changed the world. And has John saying, we're just giving you a glimpse. We're just giving you a snapshot. We're just sharing with you in our writings a little bit. And that little bit is enough to transform our lives. And John says, if I could have written everything, the world couldn't contain the books that could be written. That tells us how amazing Jesus truly was. And I know we come to a building three times a week and we sing songs about Jesus and we hear messages about Jesus and we remember Jesus around the table. Isn't He worthy of more than that? If He in three years accomplished so much, can't we give Him more than just a few hours of our week? Can't we give Him everything we have? Can't we give Him our life? Can't we be willing to be the people that would follow after His example? And that means when I'm frustrated, I react with grace. When someone's treating me unfairly, you know what I do? I don't lash back in anger. You know what I do? I forgive. Because I'm following the example of my Savior. And what He did for me is worthy of me responding by living for Him. But you have to make that decision. Now, I said this earlier, but I want you to know John earned Jesus' trust. You know how we know that? You know Jesus had a brother named James? Now, we're going to talk about Mary a little later this week. I want to tell you, that's the hardest one to talk about. 
Because I believe if anyone ever had the right to say, this is unfair, it was Jesus' mom. She had right to say, this isn't right, this is not unfair, you can't kill my son. But as Mary is there at the cross, looking up, watching her son die, okay? The Bible says Jesus looks down. He doesn't look at James. We don't know where James was. He might have been there. The Bible doesn't record that he was. His own brother. But he looks down and sees Mary, his mother, and he sees who? The disciple whom he loved. Who is that? John. And guess what Jesus says? When Jesus therefore saw his mother and disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Jesus wasn't saying, Mom, look at me as your son. What he was saying was, Mom, John is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And what he was saying was, John, I'm trusting you to take care of my mom. You ever thought about that? Here is the Son of God hanging on the cross in pain and agony, taking his last breaths, and he's not worried about himself, but he's worried about his mom. Our moms are special to us, aren't they? I want you to think about your relationship with your mom. I want you to think about if you were leaving and you knew you were going to die and you were the one that was there to take care of her and you had to trust her to be taken care of by someone else, that would have to be someone pretty high caliber of a person, wouldn't it? That you would trust your mom to be taken care of by this other person. And Jesus looked down and it wasn't even his own brother that he said, take care of mom. It was John. And the reason that was the case was because John had proved himself as a faithful friend of Jesus. Now, as Jesus dies, we studied yesterday, his body was put in that tomb. And three days later... The women go to the tomb and they receive the message that he's not here, but he's risen. And then guess what happens? The word gets to the apostles and the Bible tells us that two apostles ran to that empty tomb. You know who they were? We're going to find out. John 20 and verse 2 says, Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, who's who? John. And saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. That means the women came and reported, Hey, they've taken the body of Jesus. It's not there. We don't know where he's at. And immediately Peter takes off, John takes off, and who wins the race? John. Now, I saw some races today. It wasn't pretty. (laughs) But I saw boys, and and I told people around me, this isn't going to be pretty when I saw my boys out there because, number one, they can't skate. 
but they are competitive. <laughs> it, was, it was a good show. And they raced around that skating rink, and, you know, some of them fell. We might have video of that. I don't know. Maybe we'll see it later in the week. But, you know, they were racing to win. Well, when John takes off running to the tomb, he didn't want to be second. And he ran so fast that he got to that tomb first. And what's he see? The Bible says, and he stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. He gets to the open tomb and he sees, and he sees the clothing of Jesus folded and laid. And he just stands there in amazement because Jesus was not there. And where had Jesus been? John knew Jesus was in that tomb three days earlier. Because he had seen him die on that cross. He knew his body was taken out and put in that tomb, and now Jesus is not there. What do you think John thought about? He probably thought about everything Jesus had told him. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. I'm going into the city, be delivered into the hands of men. But three days later, I'll rise again. And all those things start making sense in John's mind. And ultimately, you know what John's willing to do? John's willing to go and preach that message to the world. You know, John is thrown in prison for preaching Jesus. You know, John is beaten for preaching Jesus. You know, the Bible doesn't uh, talk about the death of John, but there are other historical accounts that talk about how all the apostles died. And in this book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, it says that John is the only one that died, uh, not dying a martyr's death. But let me tell you what they did to John. They put him on a prison island called Patmos that was just a rocky island. And that's where he received the revelation that he wrote about in the book of Revelation. At some point during John's imprisonment and his punishment for being a disciple and follower of Jesus, uh, that book records that they had a large basin of boiling oil. And think of a big pot of boiling oil, and they put John in that pot. You know why they did that to him? Because he was Jesus' friend. Have you suffered for Jesus? I don't think any of us have suffered like that. But we all sit here tonight and say, I'll be Jesus' friend. I won't desert him. I love him. I'll be better than those. Be very careful. I want to believe you. I want to trust you. But you need to understand and count the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means this world's going to hate you. It means some of your best friends may turn their back on you. It means there may be people who make fun of you and ridicule you for your faith and your devotion to God. Can you handle that? Weeks like this? Oh, of course we can. Here's the problem with singing school. It's only one week a year. There's 51 other weeks that you're out there in the world. That's the test, isn't it? Of whether you'll really be a friend of Jesus. John was a friend of Jesus. John understood the invitation 
that Jesus gave. In Revelation 22 and verse 17, as he's writing that revelation and and concluding those thoughts, he records the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. What was John talking about? He wasn't talking about a physical river of life where there was water that people could go drink and find satisfaction from their thirst in a physical sense. He's saying Jesus is there. Jesus is the water of life. And Jesus was making an offering and had made an offering and John knew Him full well. John had walked with Him. John had talked with Him. John had seen who Jesus was. John was fully convinced John saw Jesus die. John saw Jesus raised from the dead. And John proclaimed that Jesus is making an invitation and an offering to all humanity to come. And tonight, the invitation that John speaks of is still available to you. To come and take of the water of life freely. Now, I started off the lesson asking, would you be a friend of Jesus? Because here's what I really think motivated John to be faithful to Jesus, is he wanted to see him again. You ever lost somebody close to you? Had a family member that died that you want to see again? I've got family members like that. And when Jesus died, I guarantee you it hurt John because he saw his friend die on that cross. But with all those other things that he was remembering about Jesus, I bet he remembered this as well. He recorded it in John 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Isn't that an amazing promise? And John heard these words of Jesus. And as Jesus dies, I guarantee you, John's hurting, he's mourning, he's in grief. But then when Jesus is raised from the dead, he knows, hey, Jesus is going to prepare a place and he's going to come back and one day I'll be with him again. But until then, I'm going to serve him. You know, tonight Jesus makes that promise to you. That one day he's going to come back. And if you have faith in him and you've been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ... Guess where you're going to go? You're going to go be with Jesus. Isn't that awesome to think about? In his revelation at the conclusion of that writing, John said, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You think your life's good, don't you? We have some young people that just recently graduated high school and we say, you got your whole life ahead of you. You know what my prayer is tonight? Is Jesus comes tonight. Because no matter what your plans are for your life, to be with Jesus in heaven is better than anything you can have here on this earth. And that's hard for us to wrap our mind around. I got four kids I love to death. I got a wife that I love more than anything. We have a beautiful home. We have a great life. We're very blessed. But I want to tell you, I want the Lord to come back tonight.
so I can be with him. Can you say that? If you can't say that, then you're not trusting what Jesus promised to you. And you're not being the disciple that he's called you to be. And tonight I want you to be his friend. I want him to be your best friend. Y'all are making friends this week. We've talked about that. There's no greater friend than you have that you have than Jesus. And tonight you can be his friend, but you got to do what he commands you to do. Remember these words of Jesus. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, what? If, if you do whatsoever I have commanded you to do. You see, Jesus gets to determine the terms of our friendship with him. You know why he gets to do that? Because he died on the cross. And there's no greater act of friendship than that. And tonight, Jesus is asking and calling you to be his friend. And he declares, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You want to be a friend of Jesus? Believe in him and be baptized. Let his sacrifice on the cross wash away your sins so that you can have a new life with new promises, with a new hope, and you can leave tonight following him and not having any doubt that he is your friend. Do you need a friend like Jesus? I know I do. There's a lot of people in this audience I count as dear friends. There's people in this audience I've had long conversations with helping and trying to help them in their life and and them having conversations with me trying to help me with my life. Men and women. And that's a great blessing in the church. But tonight... Your friendships in this congregation are secondary to your friendship with the Lord. And if you get the friendship with the Lord right, you inherit all the other friendships that then take on such a deeper, more meaningful existence in your life. And Jesus offers you that invitation. But you have to come to him. Be a friend of Jesus. Be obedient to his word. Let him save you from your sins. And let him give you a promise that you'll be with him forever. If you need to be baptized so that your sins are washed away, do that tonight. If you're here and you need to be reconciled to God through prayer... You need strength. You need encouragement because you know you haven't been a friend to Jesus like John was. Remember, John wasn't perfect either. But John knew where to go. And John knew where to be as his Savior was dying. And he was there at the cross. Will you be there with Jesus tonight? If we can help you with a spiritual need, baptism or prayer, encouragement, Whatever that may be, all you have to do is take a step. Walk down this aisle, have a seat on the front. The elders here will be happy to assist you with whatever needs you may have.
come tonight and be a friend of Jesus as we stand and sing.